Chapter Twenty Six of the Charing Cross Mystery by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Waterloo. The detective, walking a little in advance of his companion, stepped forward to a hall table and knocked loudly on its polished surface. No answer came. He went further along to the head of a railed stair, which evidently communicated with a cellar kitchen. Again he knocked, more loudly than before, on an adjacent panel, and again got no reply. And at that, turning back along the hall, he opened the door of the room which faced upon the street, and he and Heatherwick looked in. A musty-smelling, close-curtained room that, a sort of Sunday parlour, little used, cold, and comfortless in its formality, but the room behind it, to which Rodmore turned next, showed signs of recent occupancy and life. There was a fire in the grate, with an easy chair drawn near to it. On the table close by lay women's gear, a heap of linen with needle and thread thrust in, a work-basket, scissors, thimble. It required no more than a glance to see that the owner of these innocent matters had laid them down suddenly, suddenly interrupted in her task. "'I'll tell you what it is, Mr. Heatherwick,' exclaimed Robmore, abruptly. "'This house is empty. Empty of people, anyway.' "'Silent enough, to be sure,' agreed Heatherwick. "'The woman—you've frightened her by calling here,' said Robmore. Then she slipped round to Pencoke Street, and there she found Ambrose dead. She's some connection with him and Bazerie, because she possesses a key that admits you to that yard. And finding Ambrose dead, she came back here, got her things, and cleared out. There isn't a soul in this house. I'll lay anything on that. It struck me that this might be the place where the two ladies were detained remarked Heatherwick. "'We'll soon see about that,' declared Robmore. "'Come upstairs. We'll search the place from top to bottom. But stop downstairs first. He ran down the stair to the cellar kitchen, with Heatherwick at his heels, and at the door he laughed, pointing within. "'Look there,' he exclaimed. "'I told you you'd interrupted things. See, there's one tea-tray laid out all ready for two cups and saucers, teapot, bread and butter, cut, cake, there's another for one, and there's the kettle singing away like a bird on a bough. What's that mean? The woman was going to carry up tea for two somewhere. T'other tray was for herself. Well, you nip that in the bud. She'll have to get her tea somewhere. But the others. Come upstairs. Going back to the hall, he led the way up the main staircase. There were two stories above the ground floor. On the first were rooms, the doors of which, being opened, or being found open, revealed nothing but ordinary things. Of these rooms there were three, opening off a main landing. But on the next floor there were only two rooms. One was unfurnished. At the door of the other, a few inches ajar, the detective immediately paused. "'Look you there now, Mr. Heatherwick,' he said, pointing here and there. "'Here's recent work. 
we see that the strong bolt more like a bar has been fitted on the outside of this door and the door itself fitted with a new patent lock ah good lord a chain as well might as well be in jail but what's inside he pushed the door open and revealed a large room fitted with two small beds easy chairs a table on which books magazines newspapers lay on the table too was fancy work which it was evident had been as hastily laid aside as the sewing downstairs heatherwick bent over the things but rockmore went to the one window jail did i say he exclaimed why this is a jail look here mr heatherwick window mortised inside and fitted with iron bars outside even if whoever's been in here could have opened the window and if there'd been no bars there they couldn't have done anything though for there's nothing but a high blank wall opposite back of some factory or other apparently but what's this he added opening a door that stood in the corner hm small bathroom and this he continued going to a square hatch set into the wall next to the staircase ah a trap big enough to hand things like small trays through but not big enough for a grown person to squeeze through well i shouldn't wonder if you're right mr heatherwick this probably is where these ladies were locked up but they're gone heatherwick was looking around suddenly his eyes lighted on a familiar object he stepped forward and from a chair near one of the beds picked up a handbag of green silk he knew it well enough that settles it he exclaimed they have been here this is miss hand i mean miss featherstone's bag i've seen her carry it often these are her things in it purse card case and so on she's left it behind her ay just so agreed robmore as i say they all left in a hurry i figure it out like this the woman who of course acted as a sort of jailer to these unfortunate ladies when she made that discovery round yonder came back here got her outdoor things and cleared off but before she went she'd the decency to slip up here undo that chain slip the bolt back and turn the key then no doubt she made tracks at express speed leaving the ladies to do what they liked and they mr heatherwick having a bit of common sense about em did what i should have done they hooked it as quick as possible that's that sir heatherwick thrust rona's handbag into his pockets and made for the door then i'm off robmore he said i must try to find out where they've gone i've an idea probably they'd go to pentony's office i'll go there but you oh i'm going back to pencove street answered robmore plenty to do there but off you go after the ladies mr heatherwick there's nothing you can do round here now i'll keep that clerk of yours a bit and the jew chap they might come in we shall have some nice revelations in the papers to-morrow morning i'm thinking 
especially if Netherfield has the luck he expects. "'What are you going to do about this house?' asked Heatherwick, as they went downstairs. "'Do you think the woman will come back?' "'Bet your life she won't,' answered Rodmore. "'Not she. I should think she's halfway across London, north, south, east, or west, by this.' house why i shall just lock the front door and the key in my pocket we shall want to search this house narrowly heatherwick bade him good day for the time being and hurried off to victoria street to fling himself into the first disengaged taxicab he encountered and to bid its driver go as speedily as possible to lincoln's inn fields he was anxious about rona and yet he felt that she was safe. And he was inquisitive, too. He wanted to hear her story, to find out what had happened behind the scenes. He felt sure of finding her at Pantini's office. She and Madame Listerelle, once released from their prison, would naturally go there. But the clerk whom he encountered as soon as he rushed into the outer office dampened his spirits at once by shaking his head. "'Mr. Pentony's not in, sir,' he answered. "'He was in until not so long ago, "'but he got a telephone call and went out immediately afterwards. "'No, I don't know who it was that rang him up, Mr. Heatherwick, "'nor where he went. "'Seemed a bit excited when he went out, and was in a fearful hurry.' "'Heatherwick concluded that Madame Listerelle had summoned Pentony, "'and that he had gone to meet her and Rona.' He went away, somewhat at a loss, then, remembering that Matterfield had promised to wire from Southampton, he turned towards his chambers. At the foot of the stairs he met his caretaker. "'Been a young lady here inquiring for you, Mr. Heatherwick,' said the man. "'Been here twice. I said I didn't know when you'd be in any time. She said, but there is the young lady, sir, coming back.' Heatherwick turned sharply, and saw Rona coming across the square. Hurrying to meet her, and disregarding whatever eyes might be watching them, he took both her hands in his, in a fashion that brought the colour to her cheeks. "'You're all right, safe?' he asked quickly. "'Sure?' "'I'm all right and quite safe, thank you,' she answered. I, "'I've been here twice before, but you were out. I came to borrow some money.' I left my bag and purse in the place where we were locked up, and Heatherwick pulled out a handbag and silently gave it to her. She stared at him. "'You've been there?' she exclaimed. "'How? Got in this afternoon, an hour ago,' he answered. "'Here, come up to my rooms. We can't stand talking here. Madame Listerelle, where is she?' "'I left her at Victoria, telephoning to Major Pentony,' replied Rona. "'She, too, had no money. "'She wanted me to wait until Major Pentony arrived, but I wouldn't. "'I walked here. "'I I thought you'd want to know that we've got out at last.' "'Heatherwick said nothing until they had entered his sitting-room. "'Then, staring silently at her, he put his hands on Rona's shoulders.' and after a long look at her suddenly and impulsively bent and kissed her by gad he said in a low voice 
i didn't know how anxious i was about you until i saw you just now but now i know then just as suddenly he turned away from her and in a matter-of-fact manner lighted his stove put on a kettle of water and began preparations which indicated his intention of making tea rona from an easy chair into which he had unceremoniously thrust her watched him liberty she said suddenly we're both discovering something when you've been locked up day and night for a while how was it he asked turning on her of course we know all about the kidnapping but the rest until to-day basveri of course basveri and another man she answered a tall clean-shaven man whose name we never heard but basveri was the chief villain as to how it was they met us at the sunk road at riversweed forced us at the point of revolvers into a car and drove us off to london to westminster and into a house there the house you've been in there a moment said heatherwick who was finding cups and saucers the driver of that car he must have been an accomplice no doubt but we never saw him again we only saw those two and a woman who acted as jailer and brought our meals we were fed all right and they gave us books and papers and actually provided us with fancy work but they were inexorable about madame and her jewels they must have known all about them because they had got her own note-paper i know all about that said heatherwick i'll tell you my side of it when you've had some tea forced her i suppose to write the letters they forced her to do that just as they forced us into the car said rona with revolvers and they meant it i suppose they've got the jewels now remains to be seen said heatherwick did madame de Storel happen to tell you what those jewels were worth she talked about little else between eighty and ninety thousand pounds she's in an awful state about them but it was literally a question of her life or her jewels i don't know what they'd have done with me but now i'm all right heatherwick opened a tin box and producing a plum cake held it up for rona to inspect what do you think of that for a cake he asked admiringly present from my old aunt in the country real proper cake that yes he went on setting the cake on the table yes yes you're all right now but by george rona said nothing she saw that his relief at seeing her was greater and deeper than he cared to show she poured out the tea they sat discussing the recent events until dusky shadows began to fall over the whole room i ought to be getting back to riversreed she remarked at last it's late wait a bit said heatherwick who by that time had told her all he knew there'll be a wire from matherfield before long don't go down to riversreed to-night telephone to lady riversreed that you're staying in town her sister will be there by now and will have told her everything wait till we get the wire from matherfield then we'll go and dine somewhere 
and you can put up at your old hotel in Surrey Street for the night. I want you to know what's happened at Southampton, and... He broke off as a knock came at his outer door. That'll be Matterfield's wire, he exclaimed. Now then. A moment later, he came back to her with the message in his hand. It is from Matterfield, he said, handed in Southampton West 619. Doesn't say if he's got him. All he says is, meet me Waterloo, arriving 820. Well, I wonder, said Rona, but Basveri is just what Robmore says, muttered Heatherwick. However, he looked at his watch. Come along, he continued. We've just time to get some dinner at Waterloo and to be on the platform when the 8.20 comes in. If only we could see Basveri in charge of Matterfield and Krigman, it would give me an appetite. The vast space between the station buildings and the entrance to the platform at Waterloo was thronged when Heatherwick and Rona came out of the restaurant at ten minutes past eight. Heatherwick was inquiring as to which platform the Southampton train would come in at when he felt a light touch on his arm. Turning sharply, he saw Robmore. Robmore gave him a quiet smile, coupled with an informing wink. "'Guess you're on the same job, Mr. Heatherwick,' he said. "'Wire from Matherfield, eh?' "'Yes,' replied Heatherwick. "'And you?' "'Same here,' assented Rodmore. "'Just to say I was to be here for the 8.20. "'With help,' he added significantly. "'I've got the help.' There's four of us round about. Heard anything of those ladies, Mr. Heatherwick? Here is one of them, replied Heatherwick, indicating Rona. They're safe. You'll hear all about it later. But this business, what do you make of Matterfield's wire? Has he failed? I'll tell you what I make of it, answered Rodmore. I think you'll find that Basveli is on the train with Matterfield and Quigman in close attendance. For some reason of his own, Matterfield means to arrest Basbury here. Here. That's how I figure it. They've seen Basbury there and decided to follow him back to town. As soon as that train is in, a sudden sharp exclamation from Rona interrupted him and made both men turn to her. She clutched Heatherwick's arm, at the same time pointing with the other hand across the space behind them. Basveri himself, she said. There, under that clock. See, he's going towards the gates. With a swift and unceremonious gesture, Robmore laid a hand on Rona's shoulder, twisted her round, and drew her amongst a group of bystanders. Keep out of sight, miss, he muttered. He'll know you. Now, again, which man? That with the pale face and high hat? I see him. Good to remember, too. All right. Stop here, you two. If he moves in this direction, Mr. Heatherwick, move away. Anywhere. Wait. Robmore slipped away. A moment later, they saw him speak to a couple of quiet-looking men, who presently glanced at Basveli. Heatherwick was watching Basveli, too. Basveli, quiet, unconcerned, evidently wholly unsuspicious, 
had taken up a position at the exit through which the Southampton passengers must emerge. He was smoking a cigar, placidly, with obvious appreciation. "'You're certain that's the man?' whispered Heatherwick. "'Bas very positive,' declared Rona, as if I could mistake him. "'I've too good reason to remember his whole appearance. "'But here, daring.' "'Well,' said Heatherwick, "'something's going to happen. "'Keep back, keep well back. "'We can see things from here without being seen. "'If he caught sight of you—' "'Rob Moore came strolling back and joined them. "'All right,' he murmured. Four pairs of eyes besides ours. "'That's three pairs more on him. "'My men are close up to him, too. "'See him? One, two, three, four. "'All round him, though he doesn't know. "'I shan't let him go, whether Matterfield turns up or not. "'Cool customer, eh?' "'The trains, too,' said Heatherwick. "'He had Rona's hand within his arm, and he felt it tremble.' "'Yes,' he whispered, bending down to her, "'that's how I feel. Tense moment, this. "'But that scoundrel there.' "'Buzzfilly was glancing at the big clock. "'He turned from it to the platform behind the gates, "'looking expectantly along its lighted surface. "'The others looked, too. "'A minute passed. "'Then, out of the gloom at the further extremity of the vast station,' An engine appeared, slowly dragging its burden of carriages, and came sighing like a weary giant up the side of the platform. The passengers in the front compartments leapt out and began filing towards the exit. "'Now for it,' muttered Rob Moore. "'Keep back, you two. My men'll watch him, and whoever's here to meet him, for he's expecting somebody.' Nothing happened for the first minute, the crowd of discharged passengers, men and women, civilians, soldiers, sailors, filed out and went their ways. Gradually it thinned. Then Heatherwick's arm was suddenly gripped by Rona for the second time, and he saw that she was staring at something beyond the barrier. "'There!' she exclaimed. "'There! The man in the grey coat and fawn hat! That's the man who drove the car! See?' Basveri sees him. Heatherwick looked and saw Basveri lift a hand in recognition of a young, fresh-faced man who was nearing the ticket collectors and who carried in his right hand a small, square parcel. But he saw more. Close behind this young man came Matherfield on one hand and Quigman on the other. They drew closer as he neared the gate and, on its other side, the detectives drew closer to Basbéry. "'Now, then,' whispered Robmore, and stole swiftly forward. It was all over so swiftly that neither Heatherwick nor Rona knew exactly how the thing was done. Before they had realized that the men were trapped, or the gaping bystanders had realized that something was happening under their very noses, Basveri and his man were two safely handcuffed prisoners in the midst of a little group of silent men who were hurrying both away. Within a moment, captors and captives were lost in the outer reaches of the station. Then the two watchers suddenly realized 
that Matherfield, holding the square parcel in his hand, was standing close by, a grim but highly satisfied smile in his eyes. He held the parcel up before them. "'Very neat, Mr. Heatherwick, very neat indeed,' he said. "'Uncommonly neat, eh?' But Heatherwick knew that he was not referring to the parcel. End of chapter 26